Welcome to my podcast, Man Made. It's admittedly a provocative title. It's meant to be. It captures my desire to be of service, to be a part of the movement, encouraging us all to hold men and boys in high esteem. In high esteem for who they are and for the important and different contributions that they make. My podcast will tackle head-on the negativity that has been and continues to be directed towards men. And each week I'll also be appreciating the act of a good man. And because I loved going to football matches as a young woman, I always start with, here we go, here we go, here we go. (laughs) And the title of this episode is Boys Are Suffering in the Modern World. This is a quote from Jordan Peterson's Rule 11 chapter in his book, The Twelve Rules of Life, An Antidote to Chaos. One of Peterson's personality characteristics is agreeableness, which is associated with compassion, empathy and avoidance of conflict. It's also associated with a lesser susceptibility, at least after puberty, to anxiety and depression. On the whole, boys are less agreeable than girls and also more disobedient. They're also more susceptible to anxiety and depression. Peterson tells us that boys are more independent than girls, which he cites as a positive. Independence is indeed a positive, but the behaviours associated with it, in my opinion, are not as respected or warmly welcomed as the compassion, empathy and avoiding conflict behaviours of agreeableness. I would say if we have a need to be needed, if our self-esteem depends on being needed, then someone who's independent and doesn't require our help denies us an important source of gratification. They don't make us feel good about ourselves and may leave us feeling less than warm towards that person. This dynamic fits with what Peterson tells us about girls generally leaning towards people and boys generally leaning towards things. He goes on, boys like competition and they don't like to obey, especially as adolescents when their developmental task is to escape from their family and establish their own independent personality and existence. It's their job to challenge authority, but this does not make them popular with authority figures. Asserting independence doesn't go down well in school an environment that was, after all, established in the 1800s with the precise intention of instilling obedience. School tends to be an environment where being provocative or daring, no matter how tough-minded and competent it might show a boy, or girl for that matter, to be, is negatively framed as a challenge to authority. Peterson goes on to point out, that another factor that puts boys at a disadvantage is that girls will join in boys' games, but boys are much more reluctant to join in girls' games. This is because it's admirable for a girl to win when competing with a boy, and it's also okay for her to lose to a boy. However, a boy winning over a girl is not so okay, and it's even less okay for him to lose to her. The author asks us to imagine a girl and a boy aged nine getting into a fight. Just for getting into that fight, the boy will be judged negatively. If he wins the fight, he'll be labelled pathetic. And if he loses, his life may as well be over because of the shame of being beaten up by a girl. 
Peterson makes such an interesting and insightful point here, in my opinion. He says girls can win by winning in their own hierarchy, by being good at what girls value. But they can also top up their victories by winning in the boys' hierarchy. Boys, however, he says, can only be winners in the boys' hierarchy. They're highly likely to lose status amongst girls and boys by being good at what girls value. It may cost them, in respect from boys, and in attractiveness to girls. Girls tend to find boys attractive who win status contests with other boys. Boys can't and won't try and win status contests with girls. They can't be truly competitive with girls because there's no way to win. Peterson fears that university is becoming a girls' game. He invites us to go deeper into the statistics of educational institutions to get a clearer picture of just how problematic it is for young men. I'm going to use UK statistics here, which I'm sure are similar to Canada, Peterson's home country, and the US. If we look at STEM subjects, according to UCAS data in 2019, Males took 57% of the physical sciences places, 66% of the mathematical sciences places, 84% of the engineering and technology places, and 84% of the computer sciences places. However, William Collins, in his book entitled The Empathy Gap, makes a distinction between STEM with one M and STEM with two M's. The second M stands for medicine and allied subjects and when these subjects are included there are many more female undergraduates than male. Again, according to UCAS, Collins using 2017 data found that in medicine and dentistry women outnumbered men by nearly 50%. In the social sciences women outnumbered men by 60%. In art and design women outnumbered men by 80%. In the subject of law, there are twice as many women undergraduates as men. In languages and literature, women are almost three times as numerous as men. In veterinary science, there are four times more women, and women even outnumbered men in the agricultural sciences. In educational studies, there are six times as many women as men. In subjects allied to medicine, the extra M in STEM, there are four and a half times as many women as men. And in the nursing cohort, this exceeds nine times as many women. Interestingly, Collins points out that the gender dominance in the various subject areas precisely aligns with two categories that Peterson has also drawn our attention to. Men are aligned with subject areas that have to do with things and women are aligned with subject areas that have to do with people or animals. Collins points out that in spite of the large and growing disadvantage to males in primary, secondary and tertiary educational attainment, the 2016 government white paper entitled Education, Excellence Everywhere makes no mention of it. To see if the situation had improved... I put help for boys in UK schools in my Google search engine. I invite you to do the same. I had to scroll down through four and a half pages of links, not about boys, but about child or children in schools, until I got to the 44th link, which was about the 10 best boarding schools for boys. 
I put help for boys in UK education in the search engine and came across the Mayor of London 2020 report entitled Boys on Track, which claimed to address the needs of black Caribbean and free school meal eligible white boys in London. This excited me until I got into the detail of the report. The recommended strategies were limited to peer support, albeit four different kinds. I thought, what a weedy, not to say cheap, response. Collins, on his website, The Illustrated Empathy Gap, points us to the government's report of the Commission on Race and Ethnic Disparities. This was originally triggered by the spirit of the Black Lives Matter protests of last summer. In my opinion, some helpful findings for boys emerged. For example, a very significant finding was that most of the disparities that were examined often did not have their origins in racism. Rather, different experiences of family life and structure can explain many disparities in education outcomes. And early years experiences, including stability and security at home, matters more to children than anything else. The report acknowledged that many different family structures can provide a happy childhood, including millions of single parents doing a loving and effective job in difficult circumstances. The report states that children require both time and resources, which are more likely to be available when both parents play active roles. It identified a need for more explicit public policy promotion of parental and family support. The authors rejected both the stigmatisation of single mothers and the turning of a blind eye to the impact on the life chances of children of family breakdown. The government was urged to investigate the issue of family breakdown and look at prevention initiatives. Economic factors were also at play in young people's educational attainment. Children of lower income white and black families did less well than other ethnic groups with boys in these families faring significantly worse than girls. The last revelation from the data that I'm including here is just how stuck some groups from the white majority were found to be. And, as a result of this finding, it was recommended that wherever possible, policies should be designed to remove obstacles for everyone rather than specific groups. This last recommendation is one that Ben Bradley MP voiced in his International Men's Day speech in Parliament last year. In conclusion, I'm left with a few painful questions. Will we ever put ourselves out as a society to understand men and boys, to have compassion for their different nature and needs? Will we ever just accept that they're different to women and girls and that that's okay? Will we ever see any social engineering on their behalf, the likes of which women and girls have benefited from? And finally, can we just stop trying to change men and boys and respect and appreciate them for who they are and their unique contributions? Can we stop trying to change them, but change society and ourselves instead? And now, it's time for Good Guy of the Week. Drum roll, please. Sam Darliston lives in London. He's 27 years old and a DJ for KISS FM and E4. He was doing the prep for his evening meal and found seven caterpillars wriggling in his broccoli. He wrote a message to Tesco's warning them about the creatures that were lurking in his favourite vegetable of all time and told them they're actually really nice and that he decided to keep one as a pet. 
Sam then began documenting his efforts to raise Cedric the Caterpillar and shared a video clip of his uninvited dinner guest squirming in the splendid ecosystem, a very small green compost heap, that he'd created. Later the same day, he told his almost 5,000 followers that he'd purchased another broccoli from Tesco, which had more caterpillars lurking inside. The day after that, Sam posted, Well, what do you know? My housemate just went to cook his broccoli and bam, he's got green mates too. We now have seven caterpillar children and would like some help naming them. He posted a series of photos and videos showing Cedric, Brock, Ollie, Carlos, Croc, Janine and Slim Eric eating broccoli and wriggling on the leaves within the now extended ecosystem. On day three, Sam revealed that some of the caterpillars had begun to cocoon. His delightful Twitter thread included pics of their progress from caterpillar through cocoon to becoming butterflies. His tweet thread went viral and racked up over 30,000 retweets and attracted a stream of mixed responses and over 50,000 likes. Many of the respondees were very impressed by Sam's efforts to raise the caterpillars. However, Others were very worried that they may have eaten the creatures, one of whom said, Oh my lord, I've probably eaten those bugs. I rarely look closely at broccoli. Another pointed out that it was good news that the broccoli was not so doused with chemicals that it killed the creatures. A third added, We had exactly the same thing last week, except I didn't realise we had a visitor, until the caterpillar was boiled and floating at the top of the pan. Not such a happy ending there. Sam joked that the experience had put his mother off eating broccoli with her roast dinner for life and Tesco offered him a £1.10 gift card <laughs> to cover the cost of his broccoli. Finally, Sam shared a video of himself releasing the green-veined white pyrus narpy butterflies into nature where they can lay many more eggs in broccoli. What a very kind and interesting thing to do. Great stuff, Sam. Applause, please. Thank you, that man. Thank you. Thank you. Until next week, practice gratitude and compassion towards everyone and take care of everyone, including our men and boy folk.